Hello, hello, hello. I am your chef, Silvana Salcido Esparza, hostess with the most is Michael Munoz. And welcome to In Yo Mouth! In Yo Mouth. I'm the queen of food who's always in the mood to lick it right, lick it good, oh, show you how to. Oh, look. God, that's good. I want to know what you eat from the streets to the sheets. So open wide, honey. I'm coming. In Yo Mouth. Got the goosebumps. <laughs> Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Luxe mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey there and welcome back, folks. Once again, I am your hostess with the most is Munoz. And folks, are we surviving? Are we back at it? I mean, we are second week into September. Like I said last week, we are back to school, back to work, back to back in the kitchens, you know, back into the the groove and the life. Are we surviving, people? Are we surviving? That's what I want to know. Uh, here I am pushing through and trying to get back into my groove. But like Jeanne once said, it's a groove thing. It's got a funky swing. Um, <laughs> other than that, um, shout out to Amazon Music for featuring me. I know it's happening sometime this month. And they're doing a six-week feature on me. And I couldn't be more uh, humbled and grateful to Amazon Music for reaching out to me and seeing the work that I've been doing here. So thank you to Amazon Music. If you're not listening on Amazon Music, maybe you should if you own one of those devices or something. You know what I mean? You know, your girl, I can't say her name because I own one too and she'll start speaking. Um, a little bit of good news. Um, and I, I like, I never start with a little bit of food news, but a little bit of great news because you all know I've been really obsessed with the corn kid. South Dakota just named the viral corn kid its official corn ambassador. And if you haven't seen the corn kid, it's corn. It's just a big lump of knobs. It's got the juice. I'm obsessed with him. Uh, the whole thing made the end of my summer. Um, it's been on repeat here. And other than that, um, October 12th is the day, folks. Uh, what day it is? I can't tell you, but um, it's going to be a good day, I hope, uh, for your girl, Munoz. And uh, that's about it. I think that's all the news I got for today. But I want to get to the getting on because I'm really, 
really, really excited for the icon that is on today's podcast. I did not even know who I invited on today's podcast, to, but, I, but I quickly found out, oh my goodness, and I don't think you all are ready. So without further ado, please help me welcome the one. The only Chef Silvana Salcido Esparza. Say hi. Hola, hola. You said it's so sexy. Usually they call me Esperanza or no pronunciations. No, are you related to Raul? Raul Esparza, Broadway art icon? I'm actually related to all Esparzas in the Americas. Oh, oh, well, listen, I feel like as a Munoz, I'm related to all the Munoz. <laughs> you probably are. There's only one Esparza that came after that. We're all descendants of that Esparza, which, by the way, married into Moctezuma's family. So by marriage, Moctezuma is our ancestor, if you're an oh. Esparza. Oh, wow. wow. I said that to uh, uh, Moctezuma Esparza. I said, hey, how did you end up with, like, your ancestor's name? And he, he went, I don't even know my grandfather. I oh. said, you are related to Moctezuma Esparza. Look at this. Or Moctezuma himself. Yeah. And he's like, no, I'm not. I'm like, yes, you are. So I got his information. I put him together with my genealogist, who happens to be what? My cousin. <laughs> and next thing I know, Moctezuma Esparza and I are cousins. Uh, well, that's amazing. That's a, listen, listen to that in your mouth, listeners. Starting with the history, and we we haven't even said hello just yet. How are you? How are you? And how's the weather in Phoenix? <laughs> I am good. The weather is hot as f, but I, I guess yeah. it's that way in the whole country. Yeah, it's and, warm uh, here in New York too. I had a shoulder and bicep surgery, so uh, uh, I think this Did, week the pain has subsided. But boy, let me tell you, I'm 62. The older you get, I found that real fast that I am becoming a senior because I could cuss, right? Because this shit hurts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the strap does not look good. There we go. No, so, but you look yeah. gorgeous. And uh, I mean, listen, I figured I figured you had to beat somebody up because you are bad ass. But before we get anywhere, first and foremost, thank you for giving me of your time, of your super busy schedule um, to come here to chat with little old me on my big gay podcast. It is an honor and a pleasure indeed. My pleasure, um, because when it comes to queer it's dear and near, right? It, when it comes it, to my people, I'm down for the brown. So anytime, I am there. Anytime, indeed. Well, listen, before we get into the meat of it all, and we're going to get into the meat, I have to do what I have to do, Chef Silvana. And in the grand tradition of In Yo Mouth, I need to wish you Happy National Cream-Filled Donut Day. Ooh. What kind of cream? Shantini, uh, Bavarian, crema, you know, there's different kinds of creams, right? Pastry Boston, cream, creme anglaise, Boston cream, Boston cream, exactly. Man, mm. you know. And Mexico, they really <laughs> heavy on that cream. <laughs> are, we do- are, are we a donut person? Do we like donuts? Um, well, I'm a, let me see. Can you see that? Hija del panadero. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Father, I have eight hundred years of donuts in my and bread in my in my blood. Yes. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a anything person. I was before you. I I, I got caught up watching how to make bolillo because I'm gonna uh, use it as therapy on my shoulder. Yeah, I'm gonna 
by hand make bread like my father did using my grandfather's, my great, great grandfather's recipes. Yes, okay. because I, I read your like, your, one of your ancestors was like the baker to like the king of Spain at some correct. point, correct? Yes. Uh, in medieval 1200s, my ancestor was the royal pastry chef of the king of Spain, Alfonso el Sabio. That's, that's incredible. There's that's one incredible. line, and it's the baking line, which we still have, that has continuously been making bread for over 800 years. Wow. And we've talked on this podcast about, not you and I, I with another guest, um, Jack Hazen, have talked on this podcast using baking as therapy, but like that was like mental health therapy. And I've never thought about mm -hmm. using baking as physical therapy, you know, mm -hmm. and that's like a really, really interesting concept on this national cream filled. <laughs> there you go. You know, my, my dad was a hottie. And he never worked out a day in his life. He grew up since a little boy making those volcanoes, right? You know, yeah. for the pambirote, the conchita, and his dad's bakery. Yeah. And his father grew up the same yeah. way. So they were like naturally buff. They look like Mexican wrestlers. Oh, my God. And I was just in Mexico City a few weeks ago and saw the Lucha Libre and had some of the best conchas of my life. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, it was delicious, 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 delicious. Well, I think we're here for National Cream-Filled Donut Day. And you know what? No matter what you celebrate out there, whether it's Chantilly cream, Bavarian cream, or I don't know. Um, any, any kind of cream. Uh, 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 any kind of cream that you wish. We celebrate you on this day. And moving right along into this day in gay history, I was wowed. I, I'm wowed by every part of you that I have read, um, Chef Silvana. And in your mouth, listeners, Chef Silvana is a big activist. And I thought how very apropos on this day in gay history. In 1970, Chef, did you know in New York City, Gay Activists Alliance stages the first of an orchestrated campaign of zaps in protest of continuing police harassment, heckling Mayor John Lindsay as he enters the Metropolitan Opera House for its opening night gala. Nice. I love that. Right? Heckling. Heckling used as a political tool. Yeah. Honestly, we should go back right? to heckling. Heckling. Heckling and, like, so that you can't go anywhere, you know? like right. Queer heckling, which is way over the top, as yeah. opposed to bigger heckling. Heterosexual oh, no. heckling. Nada they don't que know ver. what they're doing. Nada you know? que ver. You just a queer heckling? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yes, we, we will cut you at your knees. <laughs> We've been practicing for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Those cocktail parties and after just for cocktails, we were practicing. Honestly, honestly, honestly. Well, I want to get to the getting on because we have a lot of ground to cover today. In your mouth, listeners, if you don't know, but you probably already do, and if or if you don't know, you better. Chef Silvana Salcido Esparza is a baker's daughter, an activist, and a chef. She comes from a long line of cooks and bakers and was trained by her grandmother and parents in business and in the kitchen. Now she's busy training the next generation. Chef Silvana creates award-winning food and, re and restaurants in Phoenix, where she is celebrated for her contributions to the city's vibrant profile. Her food has been featured in Esquire magazine and on Food Network's Diners, uh, Drive-Ins, and Dives. Chef Silvana has been 
a semifinalist for the James Beard Award numerous times and has been inducted into the Arizona Culinary Hall of Fame. While Chef Silvana's culinary expertise has earned her plenty of accolades, she is also a successful businesswoman and a promoter of the arts. Chef Silvana advises and mentors young chefs in training and has been, outspoke, has been an outspoken civil rights advocate. As a citizen of both the United States and Mexico, she feels a personal responsibility to elevate popular perceptions of Mexican-American culture and has been doing so for many, many, many years. I usually start... I usually start at a place, at, at a very beginning place, at a love of cooking place, but with you, right? Because you are a celebrity in your own right, but in a very different way than anybody, I think, that has been on this podcast as of yet. In, and that's in the sense of you are this Phoenix icon. You are this activist who stood up to the sheriff. You are this chef who has this this restaurant and this and this um what do I am at a loss for words this iconic this iconic food history in in Phoenix and you have all these things I mean just just google if you google chef Silvana Esparza I mean food is culture a woman who represents her heritage uh chef Silvana known to uh, known to many as badass chef who stood up to our former sheriff. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on, and it's absolutely incredible. What What do you want your legacy to be? Legacy? Uh, that's, that's a loaded question. It's so egotistic to think about legacies, right? Because but we never do. Of me, if, if it's legacy work that, in fact, my life has been, you know, as a queer person who swore never to have children... I swore when I was five. I got my ass whooped because of it. Um, I knew that I was everybody's mom. I've always had that feeling. When you do my my um, chart, I'm a cancer, cancer, cancer. Oh, poor me. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. That's a tough, tough. It's hard to be with myself, right? Um, everything has to be passionate. I am a gay man in a lesbian's body. I've been described that way. I feel that way. When I see Sunset Boulevard, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to do my house like that, you know, like Norman Desmond. I, I just have this passionate. And one of the things that, uh, as a queer person, you know, grew up in a Jehovah's Witness family with, like, Betty Crocker as my mom, with her high expectations of what sit proper curly hair. I always had curlers in there trying to straighten it out. You know, she was trying to beat the gay out of me and make me into a proper woman. She made me into a proper woman, then I started modeling. Um, and that's not my life. It's never been my life, that heterosexual normative life. But that's what I was trained for. So bored out of my mind living in a life that was not for me I focused on the bakery and the commerce part I liked making money I like making things but I like the end result which is happy people and I'm happy people too because I got some money out of it right money gave me freedom 
So I equated that stuff early on. I started selling candy at age 8, 9, 10. I gave more cavities to all these little white kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it segued into carnitas at my dad's bakery. At about age 15, I had my own business. I was making on the weekends four, $500 sometimes on the weekends every weekend. That's a lot of money yeah. for in the 70s for a little 15-year-old. I was dressing like, mm, you know, the clothes that my mother wouldn't allow me to buy. When, when she was buying it, I would be able to buy them. And so I found that, and I witnessed my parents who came to this country with a third grade and sixth grade education, no command of the English language whatsoever. Yet, within a year of opening their bakery, they're, within months, they're already building a custom home. Buying that big old, you know, what Mexicans do, go buy the car, right? Buying a car, looking good, looking fly. So I equate that stuff. Do you think I'm going to go to college? No, I'm going to go to be like my father. But the thing was, I didn't want to be like my father. I wanted nice clothes. I wanted all the good stuff, not the heat of the bakery, the tortilla factory, the machine, the burners, my uncles making bread. I was like, okay, I've had this my entire life. I want to get away from here. So I moved to Miami. And for eight years, I was in Miami dreaming about going back to that bakery and working in the downtown Miami in the banking world, you know, with the cocaine riddled $20 bills, you know. I was the international banker and that that I sat with Colombians and, oye, brother, bienvenido, ven acá. I even know how to talk Colombian and Puerto Rican and Cuban because, you know, it's different than Mexicano. Yeah, of course. Um, And then I went back. I went back to to my father. Uh, I had to play hetero for a little bit, so I I, I got married to handsome. All the boys loved him. (laughs) Handsome guy. Um, And I tried that for a while, but it wasn't for me, so I went back to California, uh, and I ended up back at my dad's bakery, making carnitas and guisos and things again. So that was the the second chapter of of you know like on my knees, having to go back home and say I'm sorry, I am a baker's daughter. My heart has not been happy driving BMWs and, you know, shopping at Neiman Marcus and living that life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, the fake life. That wasn't for me, you know. It was fun. I'm not going to say it wasn't fun. I'm glad that in 1980 to, or 1979 to 88, which was the fun years in Miami, I was there for it. But when I went home, I went home for business, and that meant the bakery. And that meant Mexicano. I wanted my culture. My culture was not over there. When I said I understand Cuban and Puerto Rican and all that, because I do. But that wasn't my culture, right? I wanted my culture back. And I I definitely got it in California, second capital of Mexico, right? Yeah, and then and and just moving into Phoenix and being such a cultural icon. You know, we're talking legacy work here just because it seems that you have you have done so much and there is so much drive and there is, you know, there is support for the arts, there is activism, there is there is not only love of food, but it's changing perceptions of food and 
And how do you change perce uh, perception of food by not only cooking incredible food at the same time? You know, there's so much of that. Where, where's the drive come from? You know, what keeps you going? Because you're not stopping anytime soon, <laughs> even even after the surgery. Reading. Look what I was reading. <laughs> Full yeah. service. Uh -huh. There's a good book. Um, I'm reading this book because it's a, a autobiography, and I wanted to see the format of the book because I wrote an autobiography, and I'm going to self-publish. Um, you know, uh, where does it stop? It stops when you stop when the bat when you know the battery gets pulled out or the the cord gets unplugged. Mm -hmm. I, I I look at it this way: is um, I don't have time to be dicking around. Yeah. It's a short life, period. I think about my father chasing the American dream, coming to this country, buying the house, the new cars, the business, blah, blah, blah. And it's a rat race, right? And I see what it did to him. So I've been very cautious of following in his footsteps but not emulating him to a T so I don't fall and step on the cracks. And... Um, and I'm not my father or my mother, for that matter, you know. Uh, so, and the world is cruel to somebody like me, like you, mm -hmm. you know, the, the queer part, the brown part in a white world. I can go on. So that, which does not kill you, makes you stronger. True, true. I'm a chingona. I'm a badass. I don't take shit from anybody. Uh, no, I, I wouldn't mess with you and your lowriders. No, no I wouldn't mess with you. I'm one of those people that goes from zero to I'm going to kick your ass. No, ma'am. <laughs> but, but, but having said that, having experienced from day one discrimination from my own family, my own super hetero mom who knew I was queer when I was little and just kind of tried to beat the beat me into the closet, you know, <laughs> until I, I succumb or something. But having had that, I, I'm a survivor. I'm very resilient, right? I got that outer shell, whatever. But there's so many out there who do not, right? Yeah. I, I I did an interview for uh, XJW, you know, queer XJW, Jehovah's Witnesses, for a local right. magazine. And we sat in this room, and these poor kids in that room, man. I mean, it was like, ooh, I, I know exactly the pain you're feeling. I know exactly the the not allowed to talk to your family. All of a sudden, you know, they become drug addicts. They become sex addicts. They go freaking crazy, or they're so caught up with that bullshit that they were fed in the cult. Now, I'm a survivor I've gone to therapy over this stuff. I made sure I took care of myself. But my empathy is to others. The same thing happens in 2010 when we have a nasty, nasty law here, SB 1070. Show us your papers was the nickname of it. And I was like, oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. And the, they asked me, the newspaper asked me, and that was it. And I became an activist ever since. And then we had SB 1062, you know, the, the gay laws. And it doesn't stop, does it? And now instead of going forward, for the two steps we took forward with gay marriage, uh, we're going way back to the dark ages now is what they're trying to pull us. Now, 
that heckling and my years of, of stand-up in San Francisco, or act-up, rather, mm-hmm. you know, all that old-school mentality, we have to get that activism back. We got fat in the gay world. We need well, to get in shape, skinny, off the drugs, off, <laughs> and get busy getting active. Active, yeah, we have to get active again. People learn from the queers how to become active and get things done. There are times that I feel like I, I am part of the last. I'm almost forty-two, and I feel like I'm part of the last generation that, like, remembers the AIDS pandemic, remembers what it was like to be out in these streets fighting for marriage equality, fighting for you know equal rights, fighting for all this stuff, getting shut out of city hall here in new york right and and being in the streets and now like these younger generations because of the work right some of the work that i've did but much more of the work that you all did before i even got here right um that have put us here have don't have a reference point of like oh we we still need to hello this isn't this wasn't free you know <laughs> and we're still time. back here. There's no time to be resting in our laurels to be kicking back. No. Yes, have fun. Yes, enjoy life. Yes, be queer to the hills. Yeah. But don't forget it. That it was not too long ago that we were just given the right to marry. You know, it really chaps me when I have to pay more in taxes because I was single, quote unquote, I've never been single, um, than the heterosexuals next door and with kids, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I couldn't adopt my own son because Arizona had a, a no same sex adoption. You know, there's so many things I can go back just a handful of years ago that quickly we can go right back quickly. And I paid more taxes than these motherfuckers, and I have don't have the same rights. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, it doesn't. It, it, it's. It's messed up, and there are people out there, young people out there, uh, really doing the work. Shout out to you, Queen Jean, who just had a... She is a trans activist here in New York City that has been in the streets practically every day at this point, you know, fighting for our rights, fighting for their rights, fighting for everyone at this point. Um, So that's, That's in New York. Can you imagine in middle America? Right. Where they say you all a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I want to get back to the food for a second. You know, I I love these conversations um, and just going down. It's kind of what the joy of this podcast is in the sense of I just let it be. Right. And in talking in talking to queer food people, queer chefs like you, we often don't have um, a space to do this. Right. To relate to to talk to somebody also in the food world in some aspect that like kind of gets us and kind of just, you know, like gets what it's about. You, uh, you, know, you understand what I'm saying here? And oh, yeah. I, I, I find it interesting. I usually start, like I said, at a place of where does your love of food come from, right? Because I, I like the story of the journey of, of hearing like, oh, we were in grandma's kitchen. So we've heard, we've heard the 800 years of history. We've heard the, the, the gisau and the and the trying to get away from it, but it sounds like, is it more? Is the food driven more by the activism and by, and by you wanting to change a perception, 
or is there actually a love of cooking there? All the above. The the love of cooking is um, first of all, I'm a natural at it. Mm -hmm. I'm really, really good at it. It's easy. I can sit there and it sounds like it. I mean, the food is gorgeous. That's always to it. I can sit here and we can talk about pick a topic, and I'll go. Oh, I see cabrito, cabrito in salsa de chile de árbol, cabrito, cabrito negro. Let's invent something, cabrito negro, right? So we're gonna ash all the chilies and make like a mole, and then we're gonna smother it and put it under earth, right? I could, I could do that. I can just go. Um, so there's a natural ability. I'm not good at a lot of stuff. I got two left feet when it comes to dancing and all kinds of stuff. Memory's bad. Can't spell for shit. But when it comes to food, and there's people who are far better. I'm just a natural. I have like an ear for it. Like if it was yeah. music, a lyrical ear, I have a same thing. A nose, everything. But what drives me is that my mother died when she was 58 and I took care of her that last year. Now, I was already going to culinary school. I put that on hold for her. So when she died, that was it. My The passion, I told you I'm a three-time cancer. I'm driven by passion. Mm-hmm. And uh, the passion and the, the her steadfast, and she was a gourmet. All they did was travel Mexico and come back and feed us the food that she ate wherever it was at. In the 60s, she was in Oaxaca. So. And so that passion... That dedication, my father's family legacy, the natural ability. My brothers all know how to cook real good, even if they don't do it. It's there. My grandmother was a Tanamata indigenous who cooked Tanamata indigenous food at home. And we grew up that way. We grew up with those customs and, you know, the sana sana colita de rana and put Mm -hmm. Vicks on Mm -hmm. it and eat before you go. Estás muy flaca, engorda. I used to say, uh, you're going to regret that when I gain weight. Um, You know, your skirt's too high, all that bullshit. That's how I grew up. I love every last bit of it. I, I love the chancla coming at me. You know, I love the princess at church being pulled my head back, you know, because I'm not behaving. I love all that. Um, but there was an identity crisis. My grandmother was illiterate, Taramara indigenous woman who grew up in a in the Sierra in an hacienda that belonged to the rich people. Yeah. So for three generations, her people had been there working indentured, right? My mother was a white woman. Didn't look nothing like her mother who, in turn, uh, they hid the fact that she was indigenous. But they both loved food, and they had like a a team at home. My grandmother would do all the prep, all the roasting, everything up to a certain point, and then my mother would come home from the bakery and put it together into a gourmet meal. And those were the things that, to this day, drive me. When I spent almost a year traveling in Mexico... At first, I was going to study with a, an American chef that was living in Mexico. But after three days of that, it didn't feel right to my core. Before I could put words into my head as to what I was feeling, I had left. Later, I figured it out that I didn't like the fact that she was in Mexico appropriating, teaching white people the stuff that she stole from the Mexican señoras. Mm-hmm. I ended up, by the grace of God, with those same señoras or better senoras in, in Tehuantepec, who took me 
And I want to say they taught me, but in essence, I didn't cook their recipes. They gave me el, 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 el soplo de la vida, that, that of life. I was 40 years old, man. I was still freaking heartbroken because my mother had passed away. And life had been a little weird, you know. Uh, I was single and no kids, all this stuff. And I'm like, chinga tu madre. I am a, you know, I'm going to go and change those erroneous perceptions, the molten yellow cheese, mm -hmm. the, the red sauce, the fried everything. And because I know it's different. And when I got there, And I land with my first woman who was making uh, iguana. That was it. Do I sell iguana in my restaurant? Absolutely not. That's somebody's pet. But that essence, that history, that ancestral feeling, man, that stuff, I tap into that and I'm like off. It's a, to another world. It's a passion and it's a love. Yeah, Coupled not, with that. Yeah, Coupled yeah, yeah, with yeah. that comes the fact that somebody told me shut up there's no politics in food Cállate la bota, la boca. there's lots of politics in food and i love that shit absolutely you're the second if not third person to come on indio mouth to talk about um in a very specific way the feeling of the ancestors coming through i don't know if you've discovered michael twitty um who does um a lot of food pathways uh from like the food that saved the enslaved and tracing Ooh. all the foods of the South back to Africa Ooh, yeah. and whatnot. Um, he's incredible. Um, but talking about in certain situations uh, when he's doing the work that he does and he's going on to these plantations or in certain Ooh. areas where the enslaved were, enslaved were cooking and feel it. feeling it. You, you literally feel it. As, as he's doing it, he can, he's like, it's another world. You're transported into another. He did a master class too, like the master class show mm -hmm. that's on like master class TV or whatever mm -hmm. that is. And he goes, even in the kitchen, in the studio, right? I had a whole team of people, but the cameramen were like, we saw something completely different, you know? So it's very, very real. Before we cut out to the break, um, cause I'm, I'm, We could be here for eight hours at this point. <laughs> Do you think there's a, a a correlation between being queer and food? Is queer food a thing? You know what? I'm going to give you my little two minute, one minute. Yeah. I think that it's like sports. When football was just white, it was okay. It was fun to watch. When it became of color, oh, God damn, move over. The white boys were scared, like, oh, shit, what are we going to do now? If queers were in the kitchen, there would be no straight boys in the kitchen. There would be no room for them because they all suck. I know that from experience. You get a queer boy in there, mm, everything's so pretty, clean, all that. However, the treatment, right, that they give to anybody who's queer It keeps you. You don't want to go in there. It's it's not a safe environment. No. There's knives. There's hot plates. There's mm, different languages. It, I mean, they're mean. They're downright mean. My kitchens have never been mean, but I know a man-run kitchen sucks ass. It really does. They're mean. They're cruel, and it starts with the leadership. 
And I always say, how can, you know, food is love, not a competition. That's why I never participate in competition shows. Believe me, I've been asked from Iron Chef on down. I'm not going to go com- cook Funyun tacos, you know, Funyun dessert, put some Funyuns on the flan, candy the Funyuns. You know, I could do that, mm-hmm. but it's disrespectful to the people who work toiling those freaking, you know, my gente in the fields. It's disrespectful to disrespect food like that as a competition, as a toy, as sustenance. Think about the natural resources, the water, lack of water, and we're over here messing around with food like it's a toy. No. So, I don't even know what your question was, but... I, I, the question, I'm not the, either. The question you know, was meant uh, about to be queer eaten, food. To be loved. So, yes, absolutely. Give me some queer food. And um, <laughs> there's room in there. So, you know, uh, way back in the in the day, uh, I'm a Californian in you know, San Francisco, when you go out in Castro, you go eat at queer restaurants. You go have breakfast at queer restaurants. You go have your after after hours at queer restaurants um that was because we needed to have that safe space and to have that place that was ours it's changed a lot but you know you have queer servers front of the house the bartenders all that but i believe we need more back of the house and there is room there but unfortunately is the the bad treatment that is received Sometimes is is it worth it? You know, there are people out there doing their thing and, you know, but I get it. Like, they're all doing their thing mostly, like, for themselves and not out in these things, A, because lack of money, and B, because a lot of the treatment is terrible. But you know what? I'm just going to leave it right there for right now because I want to take a quick break. You and I are going to have a tequila or something during the break, and we'll be back with my favorite part and your favorite part of the podcast. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. All right, Chef Silvana, I hope you're ready for my favorite part and the audience's favorite part of the podcast. A little something we like to call Food News Update! Food News? Oh, honey, you ain't ready, girl. The Hudson River is now home to 20 million newly deposited oysters. Do you know that the Hudson, they've been dumping oysters into the Hudson River en masse? Why? Isn't that water polluted? Um, well, that's uh, it's part of the reason they're trying to clean it up, and apparently, oysters are mm-hmm. now are, are natural like sanitizers and create these like oyster mm-hmm. reefs for like other things to like come and thrive and grow. And back in the day, apparently, I was reading that um, the harbor used to be a big like oyster farm. There, it used to be oysters galore. Would you eat? Would you eat oyster <laughs> Hudson River oyster? <laughs> 
Well, okay. I eat oysters from other places of the world that, you know, have you walked the beach lately? I have a house in Baja. And when I when the sh- the water comes in and goes b- out back out, it leaves a little film. And it used to be that uh, you could find little shells and little baby tiny little anything mollusk, you name it. What I find now is plastic, microplastic, and micro. Um, I, I'm just doom and gloom, aren't I? <laughs> micro anything, all your trash. So. Yeah, I'll eat those damn oysters. <laughs> At this point, I'm probably full of micro everything. <laughs> yeah, microplastics are very scary. You took us down a <laughs> scary <what> road. <laughs> you definitely took us down a very scary road with microplastics. It's yeah, it's it's happening really fast. You know, uh, I work with the unhoused, and I've been trying to work against water bottles and reusable water bottles is better. So, yes. Yes. I just thought, I just found it. I feel like Debbie Down is Saturday Night Live. No, you're good. You're good. I started off with a serious food news update because I just found it really interesting that they're trying to like kind of revitalize the harbor here in uh, with oysters. Like it wasn't, I I would, I naturally, you know, I would think like some machine would go into the water and clean it up. No, Uh, like how smart and like Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm nobody's biologist. You know what I mean? Well, it's going to take nature to cure the mess that we've made. Uh, I'm a scuba diver, and just in 2015, I was diving at a place that I've dove over and over again. And again, I'm in my mask crying because it's dead. The reef is completely, it looks like a rock with memories of what used to be a beautiful coral reef. We're doing that. Oh, we are doing that, right? And um, I mean, wow, what a way to get serious here. Um, we are doing that, but hopefully this will this is the start of something good, right? We can we can yeah, cross, we can, I mean, it, 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 there will be a next generation, but yeah. they're going to find a cure for stupidity. Yeah, uh, let's hope so. Well, uh, let's yeah. hope so. And I think we're here for that. I think <laughs> we are here for the guy. I wonder if oysters cure stupidity because I know a lot of people. <laughs> that Maybe they all have the pollution with, you know, <laughs> the microplastic and the oyster. Indeed. I think we're totally here for these oysters. Miriam Webster adds nine new culinary terms to the dictionary. Isn't that interesting? Do you know that one of them is birria and uh, another one is moho? I feel discriminated against. I mean, those are ancient recipes that have been used in our cultures for forever. 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 It's, It's... Trendy and media because you know it's trendy. It's trendy and everybody's doing it. Yes, um, the other, right. Yes, the other words. I actually have never had a birria taco. I almost refuse because how popular it is. Well, it's it's sacrilegious because um, they're giving you boiled beef, yeah, braised beef at best. You know, and doing it in birria style. They should call it birria style, Mexican style. Taco style. Yeah, taco style. Oh, oh tacos. I, I mean, I just, I've, I've never had it. I've just never, never had it. The other words are banh mi, oat milk, omakase, plant-based, pumpkin spice, 
Ras El Hano, or is it Hanut? Ras El Hano and Sessionable. These are these culinary terms that Merriam Webster has added to the dictionary. So basically, they're getting more international? <laughs> or what's the word? Exotic? <laughs> Exotic, international. <laughs> what? Uh, the ethnic food aisle. Yeah. Um, the the food emporium, I don't care if I, I call them out, the food emporium down the block from me has uh, the Mexican food aisles, and not all of that food is Mexican food. Like Right, it's because they don't know. It's like at the Mexican stores where there's actually Mexican owners, well, not Mexican owners because you know, we're not the capitalists, but um, the grocery stores where you have fresh peppers. Yeah. Um, and you're looking for a poblano pepper, it will never say poblano. It will always say basilla. Basilla is nothing to do with the poblano. It's a chilaca that's dry because it's basa, like a like a raisin. Raisin mm-hmm. is the, the term, right? Sun-dried. Um, so and somebody made a mistake a long time ago, and it's become the norm at the grocery stores. And I find that disrespectful and discrimination. Lack of respect, like, eh, whatever, they're Mexicans, eh, you know. But when it comes down to appropriating the food, oh, how do you spell that? B-I-R-R-I-A, birria. That's what it is. You know, let's make money. It's all about capitalism. Hello? I mean, yes. I'm I'm all about capitalism, too, but to the people of the culture. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm not going to go put my cochinita pibil on a Chinese bun, you know. and, and a bun? Oh, but it'd be good. I know? mean, it would be delicious. <laughs> oh, my God, that sweetness. And, yeah, and, that, like, that like doughy, like oh, yeah, sticky, yeah, yeah. Oh, delicious. It'd be delicious. And if you steam it even more. But that's <laughs> not, that's not, I'm not trying to be a fusion chef. Look, I don't even claim <laughs> I don't claim to be a Mexican anything, all right? Here's the deal. And I'm a Mexican citizen. But my food is not Mexican food. My food is my food. Chef Savannah's food. It says cocina de autor. That's how I describe my food. Cocina de autor. I'm the fucking author. That's my kitchen. The way I dress, the way I look, the way I talk, the way... That's my style. That's who I am. And genuinely, from my heart... And with all that information that I've been studying for years, we're talking about pre-Hispanic, Mexican cookbook from the 30s. I study this stuff. I go back and I study with the, the señoras, the artisanal cooks, not to copy them, to be inspired by them so I could be an authentic chef. And it gets my goat when people come here, people who not... Oh, she's queer. Let's not go to her restaurant. Oh, she's uh, Mexican. Uh, you know, they prefer. It really gets me where people want their safe food, right? Yeah. Everybody has to look like them, you know, and then they'll want it. Their fake sour cream yeah. food, and that's fine. Para cada quien su cada cual. There's room for everybody, right? But don't call it if it says. I'm telling you guys right now. If it says authentic Mexican food, it's not authentic. A true Mexican doesn't have to put authentic anything in there. 
Absolutely. You know? Who knew Food News Update was going to get so political? I, <laughs> I did I not know. Uh, Chef Silvana, I did not know that Miriam Webster was going to set you off. <laughs> okay. Get me going. What else did you say? And last but not least, hopefully this one, this one can't be political. Duke's Mayonnaise has a new official mascot by the name of Tubby. He is a big jar of mayonnaise that dances around this major league soccer game, I guess. <laughs> Do you have a thing against the mascots? Well, yeah, because, you know, how about the chubby people? You know, they're going to be like Tubby. Tubby. <laughs> I didn't even. But it's a big jar of mayonnaise. <laughs> you know, white people got that mayonnaise, right? I love it. Do you like mayonnaise? Because oh. mayonnaise is very controversial. No, I no. love mayonnaise. In Mexico, we put mayonnaise on everything. Las tortas. We slap it. You take the mayonnaise, put it on the bread, and then put the bread right on that griddle. Oh, so delicious. Mayonnaise hooks right into the bolillo. Mm. Yeah. No. Delicious, delicious, delicious. I don't, and we have those tubs already. We have our own little mascots on the cart for the elote. The elote man always has a big old tubby. Oh, my God. Going back to the corn boy. Have you seen the corn boy? Finally, my girlfriend had to play it for me because I'm like, isn't it, isn't, it, playing. isn't it the cutest thing? I was like, ¿Qué estás haciendo con el corn? <laughs> it is cute. I don't but think there's anything. Corn would look a lot like elote de la calle, you know what I'm saying? Right, right, absolutely. Um, well, I don't know if there's anything more to say about this big jar of mayonnaise. <laughs> and with that, I think that's the best way to end. Food news update. <laughs> You're going to go to your girlfriend. You're going to be like, I gave this gay boy a run for his money. Uh, <laughs> you are my favorite. I am I am absolutely obsessed. And now I really need to make it down to Arizona to meet you and to meet Chef Maria Maison, too, who's oh, yeah. been on. Uh, do you know her friend to the pod? Yes, I know who Maria is. Right. I'm obsessed with her, too. Right. Uh, Arizona has all the badass bitches, if I may say so, with all due respect. OK. In the kitchen. It's the heat, my dear. Uh, I guess I guess so. I need to do a tour from Phoenix to Tucson, honey. OK. <laughs> oh, my God. Really quickly, um, just because I think our stories are so important and we never know who's listening. And as someone who's lived a whole lot of life. Right. Um, can you talk to me about coming out and what your experience was like? Um, I came out at 1985, and I had a husband I had to leave. And that was easy. The hard part was my, my parents. And my mother stopped me in my tracks and said, Ojos que no ven, corazón que no siente. In other words, shut, shut up, I don't want to hear it. Eyes that don't, or uh, eyes that don't see, heart that does not feel. She was disappointed that, you know, she tried to make me straight. It didn't work. But that's my coming out story. And um, it was a struggle, really. Uh, I was happy to be queer. Well, I got a good story. I go to, um, I meet in, uh, in Florida, Fort Lauderdale, this cute little queer boy. And he was a sex worker. And I didn't know it because I was Mensa, you know. And he goes, girl, I'm going to take you to the gay beach. So we go to the gay beach, and then 
all of a sudden, everybody started getting up like at two o'clock, shaking off, looking good, getting their titties all, nipples all hard, and going across the street. And I said, What's going on? He goes, Come on, let's go. So we went to a place, a hotel called the Marlin, and we did a Sunday tea dance. Nobody does that anymore, but man, they should. It was so much fun, but for me, that was my first time at a gay bar. And, you know, I had been, quote unquote, a fake poser as a heterosexual, but I had lived that life. And I go to a gay bar, and these queens are drunk on their ass, they're doing poppers, they're doing, you know, all that behavior from the. Mm-hmm. It still happens. Poppers are back. Poppers are back. So it's bareback. Poppers are bareback. Hey. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you're going old school. Retro. We are. Please, please, if you're having sex, get on prep and or do, uh, condoms. Do it safely. We do not promote. Talk to your doctors. We are on in your life. so fucking hard for you guys to fuck it up. Okay. <laughs> Talk to your medical professionals before you you do anything crazy yeah. right that's that's the that's the, you know that was my my pull, pull the little yeah. glasses off my my little hetero fake hetero um self and i went ah hijos de la chinga ah, this is what goes on in here and that was it that was my coming out but it was a shock yeah. and i'm sure you know i mean come on a few years before that i was knocking on your door preaching yeah don't forget that's where i come from you know, there's uh, I I want to talk to you forever because there's just so much, there's so much, there's so I feel so connected and so, and so I don't even know I I have no words to describe it except for I, I I'm honored to be in your presence and I'm honored to have you here to to have a a little piece of you right and um, I thank you for uh, for entrusting me. Oh, the honor's mine. With, with that what's next for you i know that there's a book right the book i'm in edits right now and then um after that before i go doing the cookbook thing because i will i love to be able to speak my voice and talk shit Mm -hmm. um and i was able to do that with the biography right but um i think i want to do a novel about my grandmother so and that that means the romance the mexican revolution the the wetback roundups, all of that, the the nineteen nineteen um, uh, in, into the Great Depression and then survival into you know there's a lot of mysticism and, and mm-hmm. uh, curandera stuff and brujeria and all that good stuff. So yeah. I think I want to do a novel. All that good stuff. Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that. Well, I mean, like I said, we could, this podcast could be three hours long if we if we both had the time. But you have a whole empire to run over there in Phoenix, right? And I have dinner to make here in New York. Absolutely. You absolutely. Know, we should talk anytime you want. Aquí estoy. You know where to find me. Yeah. And for anybody who's listening to me, be genuine to yourself. Don't let anybody tell you you're not first class, baby, because you're first class all the way. Otherwise, we wouldn't be queer. We rule the world. We're the special ones. Everybody else is just normal, second ass, you know, vanilla, oh, big old tubby full of mayo. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Alexandra Billings uh, spoke at the Human Rights Campaign, like some sort of dinner or gala, and... 
um, what, something that she said was, uh, some, she was telling her story about how she used to be a sex worker and how um, she's been in jail and that, um, you know, these people were so afraid of what she was that they had to create laws to keep her away from her. But she goes, she goes, people go around saying that they hate us. She goes, they don't hate us. They don't know us. Mm-hmm. How can they hate us if they don't know us? They're afraid. They're afraid. Yeah. Which is a big difference. I was like, it's a great speech. In your mouth, listeners, go to the real Alexandra Billings on Instagram. It's there. It's an incredible moment um, to watch or anybody out there. Um, Chef Silvana, give everybody the handles. Tell them where they can find you, how they can find you. Chef Savannah on Instagram and take it from there. That's uh, it. ChefSavannah.com. That's it. And like all you got to do is Google the articles. I mean, it's it, it's uh, it's hours, if not days worth of re- great reading, right? <laughs> that I've fallen down into this hole. Yeah. Um, no, for yeah. real. No, but that, that's a life of, of standing up, acting up, and not giving up. You know, mm-hmm. and and not and knowing that the other shoe we might be cozy right now, but the other shoe's going to drop. And sure, shit, it is, isn't it? Reproductive rights out the window. You know. Uh, anyway, yeah. So, <laughs> stay vigil, my friends, because this shit gets heavy. Yeah, it does. We got a long does. fight. It does, but you know what? If if we proved anything today, is that we can talk about it and still have a good time while doing it, right? You know it. And cook That's well. It. Eat and well. Cook, and cook Life and eat well. shitty food. Cook and eat and, well. And it has nothing to do with money. I'm coming to Barrio okay. Cafe. I, I promise you that. That's okay. crazy. But still. <laughs> so, listen, well, you know what? I'm on. I'm at the chef's table, okay, when I come down there. Gotcha. Right? Me, Joe Biden, and Kamala Harris, apparently. <laughs> I'm short. All right? Because um, In Your Mouth listeners, uh, the... The president and the VP went to go visit Chef Silvana um, back a while ago. So you can find that info online, too. Well, In Your Mouth listeners, it's been a great day. And much thanks to Chef Silvana. In the words of Wendy Williams, you are an icon. You are the moment. And you are a legend. Now, come on now. All right. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, In Your Mouth listeners, we are well into September. The weather is changing. The sun is starting to set earlier. No me gusta punto com. But it is what it is. So let's, let's take in every last minute of vitamin D and good times that we can before we are in the cold and dark and the seasonal depression. All right, let's let's start let's start storing all of the good vibes and good times that will carry us through the winter if you are in a place that uh, changes seasons like I am. Take care of yourselves out there. Go do something good for someone, you know. A little bit of kindness is free and can go a long way. And other than that, all I have to say is thank you for listening to In Yo Mouth. In la boca.